Let's pray. Lord, what a great weekend you've given us from Good Friday night through the egg hunt for the community yesterday, through sunrise service today, and now to this great resurrection service where we have seen people uh, in the waters of baptism signify that they have died to their old way of living and they want to live for Jesus now. Uh, the old life is gone and the new has come in Christ. And we thank you for their testimonies and pray that you will help us to understand that a little bit more from the standpoint of your word. Give us your teaching in these moments. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, he is risen indeed. This was, of course, the early church greeting among people. If you saw a Christian on the street, they might say to you, he is risen, and you would respond, he is risen indeed. And we keep that going today because this is such a great day for Christianity. All other religious leaders and founders are in their graves. The grave of Christianity is empty. This is a huge boast, and it is a huge game changer at every level. Because God made the world to be a perfect world where there was no sin, and there was no death. Human beings brought sin and death into the world, and so God developed a plan of salvation that would, be, that would mean he would conquer sin and death. And so his coming and dying on the cross was his sacrifice for our sins. He took the punishment for us, and his resurrection from the dead proved once and for all he had conquered death. And all of this can be a great symbol of baptism, and we're going to get into that in just a few moments. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is known as the resurrection chapter of Scripture, and Paul is very clear in that chapter. He says, if Christ is not raised, then forget Christianity. It's no different than any other religion. But if Jesus is raised, this is the game changer. This is the one, the one faith that has hope beyond the grave for eternity. Today, 11 people declared their faith in Christ through the waters of baptism. And it's a very symbolic teaching. So I'd like to just briefly outline three portions of Scripture with you that give us some biblical basis for baptism. The first is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 in particular. These verses are verses Jesus left with us right before he, after his resurrection, before he ascended back into heaven. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. There it is, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The age is not yet ended. He continues to be with us. He has given us a job to do as he went back to heaven. The job was to make disciples. And I've emphasized this a number of times through the years that we know how he meant for us to make disciples. He meant for us to make disciples by, first of all, going to people that don't know Jesus and sharing his message of forgiveness of sins. Second of all, once they trust Christ as Savior from sin, 
to baptize them. And of course, that's exactly what we did today with 11 people. And then the third thing is teach them to obey the things that Jesus had commanded us. So three points to making disciples. Go and win them. Second of all, baptize them. Third and finally, continue throughout life to teach them to obey what Jesus has said. We hold each other accountable to his standards of conduct in our lives. These are the words that he leaves us right before he ascends back to heaven. He leaves us quite a job to do, and we've been at it for 2,000 years. Would you notice here when he mentions baptism, he is talking particularly about those who have chosen Christ as Savior. In a few moments, I'll talk about some of us in this room were baptized as infants. I'm not taking a thing away from that. This is a different baptism, though, as we will clarify. This baptism occurs once you've trusted Christ as Savior, then you make the decision, unlike infant baptism, your parents made that, in this baptism, you make the decision to go public with your faith. It's part of being a disciple of Christ. So, Christians, if you know someone that has not been baptized, urge them in this direction. It's called discipleship. Parents, your children, if your children have not yet been baptized, perhaps you can be involved in it like some of the parents or grandparents were today. Perhaps you'd prefer a pastor to do it. That's fine. But the point is, are your children following Jesus? Are they disciples of Christ? If so, part of that means water baptism. So these are the words that Jesus left us before going into heaven. Now, the imagery of this baptism comes very clear in Romans chapter 6, our next passage of Scripture. Paul says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? You say, what does that mean? Look at the phrase that follows. We were therefore buried with him through baptism. What did we do? We took a person, we buried them, we lowered them under the waters of baptism. So they were therefore buried with him through baptism in the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead of the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So then we raised them back up. I am no longer going to live the way I used to. Now I live for Jesus. That's what, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what baptism is is saying. So very symbolic, and so it really fits on Easter Sunday when we're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, particularly his resurrection, and we follow suit with that by saying, I'm going to die to the way that I used to live, and I'm going to live totally differently. Now, when you do this as a young person, as some of our, a couple of our young children did today, they've come to know Christ as Savior. It's not as though they've years, lived for years as a filthy wretch or something, but uh, the idea is you're not going going to live to self. You're not going to simply do with your gift of life whatever you want to do. You're going to follow Jesus and what he has for your life. That's the point of baptism. And so as Jesus was lowered into death, so we lower a person under the water symbolically, we don't hold them under for three days, three nights more like three seconds, okay, and then resurrected to new life in Christ. I'm going to live for Jesus. That's the symbolism. This is well summarized in the next verse that I want you to see, and that, of course, is Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. 
having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. There's the imagery again in Colossians chapter 2. Buried with Christ, died to self, raised to a whole new way to live and be alive in Christ. So Easter is absolutely the perfect day for a baptism. We've done this in the past at Calvary. I hope we'll do it again in the future. And I just want to underscore what baptism is not as well as what it is. It is not salvation. Salvation's already been experienced. You're now following Jesus. You've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins. It does not wash away your sins. Your sins have already been washed away. Many of us, though, look at baptism as symbolically washing our sins away, but our sins are gone. We're followers of Jesus. Now we're going public with our faith, and we're simply stating we're a follower of Jesus. What baptism is, it is a public testimony that I know Jesus as Savior from sin. And really, it becomes this wonderful moment of a spiritual experience for someone. Uh, it becomes a mile marker in their Christian life. I have often drawn the analogy that baptism is just like you on a sports team. You wear the jersey, the uniform of the sports team. Or if you're in the army, you wear the army's uniform, the official uniform. If you're one of Christ, you wear the uniform, baptism. Some people say, well, you know, I don't really see a need for it. Well, it doesn't matter what you think. You're not on the team just because you want to be. Put on the jersey, be baptized. Jesus did it even though he had not experienced forgiveness of sin. He had no sin. But he did it because he wanted all of his followers as well to demonstrate that they were part of his work, his kingdom. They were disciples of Jesus. So sometimes we think of it in terms of a sports uniform. The other analogy that I'll often use is my wedding ring. You know, it obviously shows an, a commitment that I have made inwardly to Emily, my wife, and that's why I wear the ring. And so baptism demonstrates an inward commitment that I've already made. I've trusted Christ as Savior. Now I go public with it. I wear the testimony of baptism. I want others to know that I know Jesus. So to you 11 that did this today, good job. And I think it's really an important mark of being a disciple of Christ. And I think you stand as a testimony to those who don't understand this yet. Now, I want to wrap this up today simply by asking and answering four common questions that often come in a moment of baptism. The first question is, uh, what are the other methods of baptism? And yes, we practice what is called immersion. That is, we dunk them under the water and bring them back up. And it is a symbol, as I've said, of Easter, of resurrection, dying to the old way that I used to live, now living a new and different life for Jesus. I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. That's the symbolism of what we practice in terms of baptism. Some folks practice pouring or sprinkling. Perhaps some of you have been through that. The imagery there is a little bit different. It can represent the coming of the Holy Spirit on you when you trust Christ as Savior. It can represent the washing away of your sin as water is put over you. There's different symbolisms in different branches of Christianity. And in the branch that we're in, we simply do it by immersion because we love this kind of idea of going public with your faith and giving testimony to knowing Jesus as Savior from sin. 
The second question that I want to pose for you is, is infant baptism the same as believer's baptism, what we've experienced today? And my answer to that is no, because in infant baptism, you didn't make the decision. You hadn't trusted Christ as Savior. Depending on how you were baptized as an infant, your parents may have made a commitment to God to raise you in a certain way in the covenantal relationship with God, and it was a very important moment for them, and they believed it was for you as well. But believer's baptism is not their choice. Now you've grown up, you've trusted Christ, you've adopted the Christian faith as yours. This one is your decision. Some would even go so far as to look at it to say it's the fulfillment of infant baptism where parents were hoping and trusting that their child would find Jesus as Savior. Now the child's all grown up, trusted Christ as Savior. Now they're making the decision to be a public follower of Jesus. So in some ways, it is a fulfillment of infant baptism, the ultimate fulfillment of it. Some parents, when they hear that their child wants to go through believer's baptism, they get a little bit offended and they wonder, you know, what, didn't we do it right the first time? You know, doesn't our kid get this? Well, actually, I think parents should be proud if their children make this decision. Their grandchildren make this decision because it means they've adopted the Christian faith now for themselves. It's a little different way to look at it, but I think it's a very important way to look at it. The third question that often comes up is, when is a child ready for believer's baptism? We baptized two children today, two younger ones, and then uh, a teen. Um, when is a child ready? When have they crossed that line? First of all, I would say they need to know Jesus as Savior from sin. That's the whole point. You're a follower of Jesus. You're giving your life to him. You've trusted him for salvation of your sin. Now you're following him. The child has to understand that and haven't made that decision. The second thing is they need to be serious enough about it to understand what they're doing. Some children get the imagery of it, the seriousness of it at, say, even age seven. Some, it's not till they're 12. The range is there, but parents, you need to help your child sort this out and see when they are ready. And then we stand ready to assist you in the spiritual development of your child, to lead them through that process of baptism. We can do it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can also be involved if you've been a discipler of your child, uh, just like we had some of that today with a father and a grandfather. It does make sense. So when is a child ready? When they get the imagery of it. There's some mental preparation. There's also some spiritual preparation. They have to know Jesus as Savior. And with every child, it's a little different. I trusted Christ as my Savior somewhere around the age of five or six. I'm not sure I really understood the significance of baptism until I was a bit older. I was baptized when I was 12. Everybody's experience is a little bit different. It's fine. We just want to be sure that you understand what you're doing when you're baptized. There's one final question that I want to bring up, and that has to do, and maybe some of you thought about this today, it has to do with rebaptisms. Every now and then you run into somebody that would like to be rebaptized. Maybe it's because the first time they were baptized, they didn't really understand what they were doing. Or maybe after being baptized, they fell away from the Lord and they kind of walked away from the commitment that they had made to Jesus. And now after some time and some hard times, they've come back to Christ and they want to be rebaptized. There's nothing in the Bible that deals with the issue of rebaptisms. So what we would say here at Calvary is, hey, if this is helping you in your spiritual development, we'll be glad to rebaptize you. 
Now, if you're doing it five, six, seven times, we probably need to sit down and talk a little bit about what that means or whatever and where you're at and what you're depending on baptism to do for you in your walk. But if, if God has performed some kind of a revival in your life, you have returned to him, or you're not sure you quite got it right the first time, you really didn't understand what it was, we would be glad if you feel you need to be, be uh, rebaptized. We would be glad to be a part of that with you. All of this to say, Easter is all about hope. There is life after death. A new day dawns, there's a new opportunity. Hope exists because Christ has been raised. That is what this day is all about. Humanity has brought its worst against the human race with sin and death, and Jesus has provided a marvelous plan of salvation to save us from our sins, and to give us eternal life with him forever, a new life in Christ. Buried to the old way we live, resurrected to a new way, a new way of living, resurrection life in Christ. On this Easter Sunday, I want to be very clear for each and every one of us online as well as here in the auditorium that do you know Jesus as Savior from sin? People say, well, I'm trying to be a good enough person God makes it really clear in his Bible, nobody can be good enough because the mark is not being good enough. The mark is a mark of perfection. I don't know anybody that's claiming to be perfect. Well, I can't be perfect. What's God? That means you need to be forgiven. And Jesus has provided the opportunity for forgiveness of sin. Your sin must be punished. He took it on himself on that cross, and he died in your place. He took the punishment for your sin so you can be forgiven. This is what we call the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes our life. It begins the spiritual pilgrimage with God that is lifelong. It begins a new opportunity to die to what you used to be and to live for him each and every day. And then you too can express that publicly in the waters of baptism when your moment comes. Would you bow your heads with me on this Easter Sunday morning realizing that Christ has died but he has been resurrected. And so we too can die to our old way of living and find new life in Christ, forgiveness of our sin. You can begin that relationship with him right now, right where you are, in this room, in a car somewhere, in your home, wherever you are watching this service. You can simply say in the quietness of your heart and mind, God, I know I'm a sinner and I cannot be perfect but I believe that you love me and your son died for my sin. Please forgive me. Just ask him to forgive you of your sin and he will do that and you will become a child of God. Thank you, Father, for Easter, the hope of it, the hope of new life in Christ, the joys of sin forgiven and life eternal with you in a new perfect world and kingdom that you will establish. 
We look forward to your rule and reign, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.